This is Northwest This Week with your host, Mark Christopher. Hi, everybody, and welcome to The One Show that gives you a chance to catch up the stories perhaps you missed out on here this past week, or maybe you didn't get more of the updates to some of the more popular stories we had, including local law enforcement unions team up to call for a new approach to fighting crime. Starbucks will reinstate the Memphis 7. What's that all about? And celebrating equal pay for female athletes. It all happened this week, ending September the 10th. Now, let's get you all caught up. Along with the rest of the world, we are remembering Queen Elizabeth II of Great Britain, including her brief visit about four decades ago to the city of Seattle. It happened on March 7, 1983. The Queen and her husband, Prince Philip, arrived in rainy Seattle by plane for a few short hours, having just spent a week in an uncharacteristically rainy California. They're unassuming, but they are impressive. Como Radio reporter Mike Hamilton covered part of the royal couple's West Coast swing. He told CBS 8 in San Diego. Their honesty, their frankness, their, uh, their friendliness, was, for me, unexpected. The Seattle visit was little noticed by the world press compared to the California trip, during which Queen Elizabeth, 57 at the time, hobnobbed with President and Mrs. Reagan. Here in Seattle, she met with then-Mayor Charles Royer and then-Washington Governor John Spellman. Elizabeth's royal dignity impressed reporter Hamilton. There is an era there of aristocracy, uh, of aloofness that gets my respect. The Queen has a face, uh, this may sound a little melodramatic, but there's a very angelic quality about it, a wonderful smile. While in Seattle, the royal couple rode the monorail and waved to all the friendly commoners who came out to greet them. Later, Seattle area dignitaries met with the Queen privately aboard her royal yacht, the Britannia, which had sailed up the west coast while the royals flew to the northwest. Later, 8,500 people greeted the Queen and Prince Philip at a royal convocation at Heck Edmondson Pavilion, fitted for the occasion with red carpet. Although no tape is available, the Queen reportedly joked at the time about the Pig War, an 1859 conflict between Britain and the San Juan Islands over a stray pig. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Three law enforcement unions say they are joining forces against short staffing and the soft-on-crime approach for the story. John Lobertini. The Seattle Police Officers Guild and the unions representing King County Sheriffs and Corrections are desperate for public support. First time in history getting together to highlight the public safety crisis and together with our support of Jim Farrell, King County Prosecuting Attorney, galvanize on public safety issues. Jim Farrell, a former prosecutor and a tough-on-crime mayor in federal way, is running for King County prosecuting attorney. Tremendous backlog of 5,000 felony cases, of which over 180 are homicides, over 500 sexual assault cases. They're stuck in this system, and there is no discernible plan moving forward. That is a failure of justice. In correction, some deputies are so overworked they're sleeping in cells because they're too tired to drive home. And the already understaffed Seattle Police Department is facing a law enforcement crisis. 350 officers are eligible for retirement, and the department is already down 350. John Lobertini, 
Northwest News Radio. As we were gathering stories from all of our reporters here in the newsroom of Northwest News Radio, another one that caught our eye, three local cities have been named among the most ethnically diverse in the country. Due to its ethno-racial, linguistic, and birthplace diversity, a new report from WalletHub ranked Kent as the seventh most diverse in the U.S. Federal Way ranked 12th, and Renton ranked 16th of more than 500 cities included in the study. Bellevue and Everett also made the top 100. The most ethnically diverse city in the nation, Jersey City, New Jersey. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. Thank you, Kathy. A brand new shelter has opened here in our state with a capacity to house up to 250 people. Uh, we're hearing only 20 people, though, have moved in so far. It could be that it's only been operational a few days. The new shelter in Spokane is near a major tent city off I-90. And every day, a bus goes back and forth attempting to shuttle those in tents to a place that has an actual roof. And the few new tenants who have moved in are grateful. Sounds like a good idea, honestly get people off the streets and stuff and away from here. But there are several who'd rather stay where they are. The new shelter is a converted warehouse, a large open space with fluorescent lighting, rows of beds out in the open, and no indoor plumbing. It looks like a concentration camp. Um, it's just kind of a bunch of tents and beds and it's nobody's going to go there. Spokane's mayor says she's applying for money to get indoor plumbing, but this homeless man tells KREM.com it feels like being pushed into a box. What does this shelter consist of? Change? Does it, does it consist of empathy? Compassion? For the people here? Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Pro-life pregnancy centers face new restrictions in Seattle. The city council voted to label them as limited service pregnancy centers. Council member Tammy Morales says these facilities often advertise themselves as medical clinics, but don't provide any services that require a license. We do have a Washington state code that regulates healthcare facilities, um, but these kinds of service centers really try to avoid being subject to that statute. Often, Morales says they only provide over-the-counter medication and counsel women away from abortion. Additionally, the bill restricts false advertising by such organizations that Morales says often targets minorities and the poor. The bill passed unanimously and now heads to the mayor. Jeff Pogel on Northwest News Radio. One of the stories we've been following for a few weeks right now here at Northwest News Radio, gas-powered leaf blowers apparently now will become a thing of the past in Seattle. The city council approved a resolution to develop legislation that would ban gas-powered leaf blowers starting with city work crews. They'll have to start using electric leaf blowers by 2025, and two years later, the ban would apply to everyone in the city. Landscaping companies have been critical of the plan, saying electric leaf blower batteries don't last long enough and and they'll need many batteries to work through the day. The resolution requires the council to work out details of the ban. Eric Hines, Northwest News Radio. Story still ahead in our next segment. The FAA has a new set of rules, apparently a demand by Congress. And just in time for the new NFL season, more sports betting expansion. Bill O'Neill with a conversation here of an issue that many would never even imagine would have ever been a part of an American election. More than half of us who will cast ballots this fall will see a candidate who claims the 2020 president presidential election was stolen from then-President Donald Trump. An ABC News story from Justin Finch, Bill O'Neill, ask some questions. Justin, this is all based on research conducted by the folks at 538, right? Uh, that's right. There are partners over at 538, and they've really done a lot of kind of research into putting this all together, uh, essentially finding that more than one in two Americans will have an election denier on the ballot this fall. Now, these are candidates who support former President Donald Trump's, of 
course, unproven claims that the 2020 race was stolen. Uh, that means they will be appearing on nearly every ballot uh, across the country this fall. So 538, they went to news reports, debate footage, and campaign materials, even social media, and going as far as to reach out to these Republican nominees who are trying to win seats in the House, the Senate, governorships, as well as the Secretary of State and Attorney General. And of course, breaking down uh, these numbers. Of course, more of a visual thing here as well. If you go to the 538 site, you can see um, how it's laid out. You have states including uh, Texas, Arizona, Florida, Alabama, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Michigan, that are almost completely colored in uh, based on this data that they have uncovered at 538. Um, that, again, shows a lot of support for the president's, former president's claim of the stolen election. Uh, these candidates are on the ballots this fall. They're telling voters if this is a thing that you care about, that you don't support, to really do your research as you go into the midterms to vote. Is there any sense in the polls as to how much traction this is getting with voters right now? Uh, as for the, the voter end of it, not so much. This was a lot more focused on the candidates. And the, the numbers here are, are certainly ones to think about uh, when they break this down at a more granular level. Out of 529 total Republican nominees who are running for office, uh, 538 finding 195 who fully denied the legitimacy of the 2020 election. A pretty stark number there. Um, they're also saying that there were a total of 71 Republicans who have accepted the results of the election. Um, another 87 had reservations. So you're seeing how of that large number, just a small percentage of them are actually accepting uh, of what happened two years ago, close to now. And of course, this is something President Joe Biden's focused a lot of attention on in recent weeks, very pointedly using the term MAGA Republicans. That's right. And what we've seen over the past several weeks is the president really drawing a contrast between, uh, of course, where he believes the country is heading and where he says the so-called extremist MAGA Republicans could take the country, a place he categorizes would not allow women across the country, abortion access um, could uh, essentially uh, get rid of marriage equality, things that he believes are foundational rights. But he also does, within that larger category, he does pick out that there are a great number of what he calls mainstream Republicans who do not accept uh, what he calls that ideology. So you are seeing the president not only call out this MAGA wing, but also goes a step in the other direction to also call out uh, what he calls this mainstream end of this party that's willing to work uh, within a democracy, will accept the results of election of elections, uh, but but also wants to drive home that in November that Americans will have a choice to make at the polls. ABC's Justin Finch with us on the Northwest Newsline. I'm Mark Christopher, and you're listening to Northwest News this week, ending September the 10th. We're back after this. You're listening to Northwest This Week with Mark Christopher. 
as we help you catch up to more of the stories of the past week. Starbucks will reinstate seven employees fired in February after leading unionization efforts in Memphis. The seven will get their jobs back after the company lost an appeal of a lower court's order to reinstate them. The coffee giant claimed the employees violated company policy by reopening the store after closing time and inviting non-employees to come inside. But the National Labor Relations Board said Starbucks interfered with workers' rights to organize and asked a federal court to intervene. The case has been among the most closely watched in the ongoing unionization effort at Starbucks. Kathy O'Shea, Northwest News Radio. Amazon's recently launched prescription drug service now has some competition, we're told, from a sports team owning billionaire. And this rich guy? Not afraid to tweak the retail giant. Corwin Hake explains. Mark Cuban, the owner of the NBA Dallas Mavericks, has now launched Mark Cuban Cost Plus Drugs, a mail-order pharmacy he says will offer better prices than Amazon's two-year-old prescription drug service. GeekWire reports Cuban told a conference audience Tuesday Amazon's margin is, quote, my opportunity. Critics have complained Amazon prescription fulfillment offers little in the way of discounts. Kyle J. James with the website RatherBeShopping.com tells WAFB News Amazon's drug prices are comparable to another Seattle area retail disruptor. And I found them to be very comparable to Costco. So you know, if you get your drugs from Costco and you don't want to go in or maybe you don't want to renew your membership, you know, the Amazon pharmacy you know, has, some, uh, has some potential. Analysts say neither Amazon nor Cuban has been able to offer much in the way of discounts on pricey brand name drugs. Instead, CNBC reports both offer deep price cuts on generic drugs. Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Now for this aviation story I mentioned here, the FAA with a new set of rules demanded by Congress and the public. It has to do with the crashes of two 737 MAX jets. Ian Duncan had this story for the Washington Post and shared the following with our listeners. Ian, in short, what are these new rules? So this is rules to do with the system that the FAA has where uh, instead of using government employees to conduct all of the safety checks on the designs and, and the building of planes, um, they have employees at Boeing do that work. And those employees are supposed to work strictly for the government and sort of the public interest. And these are some rules that are designed to sort of strengthen the uh, the protections that those workers have. So, you know, even though they're collecting a paycheck from Boeing, that they are free to do what is in the public's interest and maybe what's in the company's interest. Does this amount to basically whistleblower protections? That's kind of like, yeah, that, it's a, one of the features of this, for example, is that there, there will be anonymous surveys of these um, employees in, in these roles every year to make sure that they uh, don't feel like they're being put into situations where they have conflicts of interest. There's some requirements about how to investigate cases of suspected interference in these employees' work. And there are some protections um, specifically to ensure that these employees are free to talk to um, the, their managers who do work for the FAA so that if they have a safety concern, they don't have to flag that for the company first. They can go straight to the government and say they don't think something is right. And why does the FAA need this system of aircraft manufacturer engineers doing FAA inspections? So the office that oversees Boeing uh, at the FAA is, is pretty small, less than 100 people. Um, and the size of these 
engineering projects is just vastly outweighed by that. And so um, instead of hiring all these people onto the government payroll, they can have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of employees at Boeing assigned to do this work. So the idea is that these engineers are more familiar with the the product, they have the technical expertise, um, and so that they, it's a way for the government to kind of draw on those resources without having to hire people in-house on the government payroll. Finally, Ian, when it comes down to the bottom line of a company's uh, uh, you know, earnings report, is this new system expected to slow down how aircraft companies like Boeing can get their planes to market? So there have been uh, changes. This is kind of one big shift. Um, uh, I'd say over the last couple of years, there's definitely been more scrutiny of Boeing by the FAA. And so the sort of most recent thing that we've seen was with the 787, there were kind of production problems there. And um, the the, the FAA didn't think that those planes were necessarily unsafe to fly, but it it asked Boeing to stop delivering them um, to, to customers so that the FAA could kind of do more safety checks. So yeah, there have been meaningful impacts on how the company does business and the government's view is that that's in the interest of keeping people who are flying on these planes safe. Ian Duncan with us on Northwest News Radio, transportation reporter for the Washington Post. You can always find Ian's coverage online at WashingtonPost.com. Thank you. Taylor Van Syce of Northwest News Radio. As we give you more of Northwest This Week, ending the week of September 10th, whether you're listening here on radio each and every week at this very same time on AM 1000 and FM 97.7, or remember, at your convenience, it is available as a podcast at nwnewsradio.com. So a big week for Apple and all of us wanting to get our hands on the newest tech toys. Alex Stone with a story from ABC News. Okay, Alex, the big unveiling, of course, included an iPhone 14, right? Yeah, and we knew uh, you know something by the name of 14 would be coming. We didn't know exactly what it was going to be. And it is, Bill, a lot of the regular stuff. You know, things that they highlight every year that most iPhone users probably aren't going to really notice. Little improvements, better chip, slightly better camera better low-light performance, uh, you know, things like this. This is our first chip built on a state-of-the-art 4-nanometer processor. Because haven't you always wanted a 4-nanometer processor? And, you know, and I look at it and go, all right, I go on Uber Eats. Is it going to work? Will there be food? But the, uh, so a lot of the announcements were more evolutionary rather than revolutionary. Um, some improvements to the Apple Watch, if you're a woman. Utilizing the new temperature sensor in Apple Watch Series 8, you can now receive a retrospective estimate of when you ovulated. Now, that temperature sensor not yet ready to tell your body te- your overall body temperature, but uh, will help track uh, uh, ovulation. And they- they've got a new rugged Apple Watch meant for outdoor activity, beat it up, go scuba diving with it. AirPods Pro, they've got some new things in it. Um, but they claim it's all going to be a lot better. But there were two big headlines uh, that, that really are the, the main things in all of this. Number one is the new Apple Watch and the iPhone 14 models. They're going to be able to know when you're in a crash and automatically call 911 on your behalf and using a lot of technology to sense that, that you have been in an accident to then know to, to make that phone call, they said. When a crash is detected, it will automatically connect you with emergency services, provide your location, and notify your emergency contact. Now, critics are saying, look, OnStar has done this for like 30 years, but this is not using sensors in the car. Uh, it's using what it hears, what it knows, 
sound and G-forces no matter what car you're in, that it they then will dial 911. In each crash test, we captured data from the new gyroscope and accelerometer, including the barometer, microphone, and GPS. But the even cooler thing that had been rumored for a while was unveiling a big announcement of the new iPhone lineup will connect to satellites if you're out of cell service and you need a rescue. Uh, let's say you go up hiking in the mountains outside of Seattle, you get in trouble, you break a leg. It will then, if you click a button on the, the screen, it will send 911 messages, your GPS coordinates telling them you need help. You know, Apple, of course, is always under pressure to bring you the biggest and best stuff. What has been the response to any of this as we've heard so far? You know, a lot of it, except for the, the satellite, is uh, already analysts saying, eh, you know, it, it's little things here and there. That the issue being that we're so far along in this now, what do they do? to really knock your socks off and to be something that is revolutionary, we don't know. We're not really there yet. And so it is a lot of the, well, we've improved the camera to, to do better lower light. We've increased the speed. We've got a brighter screen, always on screen uh, on the pro models, little things here and there. Uh, but if you've got a 12 or a 13, do you need to spend the $1,100 to go to the pro model, the pro max? Maybe not, but if you have a an 8 or a 9, you're going to notice that the camera is a lot better, and it can do a lot more. So kind of depends on where you are, but if you've got a 13 right now, do you need to upgrade to the 14? Yeah, some people are going to do it. Do you need to? Uh, maybe not. ABC's Alex Stone with us on the Northwest Newsline. In the minutes ahead, congratulations for female soccer players finally getting equal pay. And there's questions about auto insurance with all the inflation we're seeing in prices and just about everything, but no increase in coverage. We'll get to this. But as promised, another local tribal casino now launching sports betting just in time as the NFL gets underway. This story from Greg Herschel. The first bet was placed yesterday at the Tulalip Resort Casino by tribal chair Terry Gobin. $10 that the Seahawks will defeat the Denver Broncos next week. The Daily Herald reports a smaller sports book has also been launched at the Quilceta Creek Casino. But the Tulalips are not the first tribe to offer a sports book in Washington. The Snoqualmies did that a year ago, and the Stillaguamish tribe's Angel of the Winds Casino Resort started offering sports betting in December. Much of the revenue is going to pay for health care, early learning, and cultural programs for Tulalip tribal members, and the Marysville School District will net approximately a million dollars. Greg Hersholt, Northwest News Radio. It's great to have you with us again this week. It's Northwest News this week, ending September the 10th. I'm Mark Christopher. Hang with us. This is Northwest News This Week. Welcome back. U.S. Senator Maria Cantwell from our state offering congratulations as national soccer leaders sign a landmark agreement guaranteeing equal pay for female athletes. Tonight is truly an historic occasion. Shortly after the U.S. women's national soccer team defeated Nigeria 2-1, Cantwell took the mic at Audi Field in Washington, D.C. to celebrate equal pay for our female athletes. It's an issue the Seattle Democrat championed in the Senate, co-sponsored by West Virginia Republican Senator Shelley Moore Capito, but Cantwell notes it would not have happened without the efforts of two local soccer stars. And since I come from Seattle, where we love soccer, I have to say a special thanks to Megan Rapino and Rose Lavelle for signing the original petition to make this case a reality. 
Cantwell joined leaders from U.S. soccer and the men's and women's national teams to sign the bill. It requires equal pay and benefits regardless of gender for all Team USA athletes representing the United States in global athletic competitions. Let's celebrate! Corwin Hake, Northwest News Radio. Another story you might have missed this past week, inflation soaring to a 40-year high, and like nearly everything else, auto insurance rates are increasing. But we've discovered coverage is not. Tell us about some of the numbers here. Premiums go up. Coverage doesn't seem to be in lockstep with those increases. That can cause some problems. Give us your analysis into those problems and what we can do about it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, But that's exactly it. Inflation is causing a lot of the costs associated with car insurance claims to rise. So things like medical care services are up about 5% year over year, according to the Consumer Price Index. Um, The cost of new vehicles, used vehicles, vehicle parts and equipment, all of that is rising. And what that means is that car insurance claims are more expensive. That causes insurance companies to raise their rates to make sure they have enough money in their claims reserves to pay out those claims, which means you're paying higher car insurance costs. But the other side of that is with claims getting more expensive, unless you have looked at your car insurance and increased those limits, your coverage is not really going as far as it used to, uh, which could potentially leave you underinsured if you have an accident. Kate, what about getting the right insurance? I mean, you have to have car insurance. What about finding the right coverage in today's economy? Sure. So definitely the medical care services is one of the biggest issues. Um, In 2020, the Insurance Information Institute noted that the average bodily injury payout, uh, so if you hit someone else, those are the injuries that you're causing to the other party, that was about $20,000. And that was 2020. So we're now two years on from that, and we're in this inflationary environment. That number is very likely much higher Um, But if you haven't increased your coverage, you may not have enough, especially if you have state minimum coverage. That's really the group of people I think that need to be the most aware of this. Uh, Most states, their minimum coverage limits are fairly low. Um, $25,000 per person for bodily injury is a really common one that occurs in various states. And we're now, you know, approaching that limit with that, that increase in medical care services. So, especially if you have minimum coverage, take a look at your policy, make sure you understand how your coverage works, how it's covering you, and then just get a quote for higher limits. Um, We pulled some average rates from Quadrant Information Services and found that on a full coverage policy that had state minimum liability limits, it was only about $7 per month to go up to the next level of liability, um, which is $50,000 per person up to 100,000 for bodily injury, and then 50000 in property damage. So you can get a lot more coverage for not a lot more money, and that's going to really help protect your finances. Kate, if people would like more information on this story, it's up on your bankrate.com website, correct? Yes, absolutely. All right, Kate, thank you so much for your time again. That's Kate DeVetter with Bankrate.com on the Northwest Newsline. Thank you, Tom. The first of more than 90,000 COVID-19 booster shots arriving this past week here in the Northwest. Call it a COVID-19 cocktail. Half Pfizer, half Moderna. Cross protection against the newest Omicron variants, BA4 and BA5. King County Health Officer Dr. Jeff Duchin. The SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19 has evolved. It's evolved new variants that can dodge some of the immunity. The number of 
reported COVID-19 cases is way down, but the vaccination rate is also low among people under 35 and those over 50. In the past 30 days, people who are not fully vaccinated were seven times more likely to be hospitalized and 10 times more likely to die than those who are boosted. Pfizer is calling this the broadest opportunity for protection, and Dr. Duchin agrees. Having updated booster vaccines gives us an opportunity to prevent many infections, hospitalizations, and deaths. He also sees this as an insurance policy heading into the fall and winter months when transmission numbers could spike. John Lobertini, Northwest News Radio. In our next segment, a recent sewage spill into Lake Washington brings such accidents to be prevented in the future. We'll tell you what we found. And did you hear the story that new statistics from the state of Oregon show something is happening among its population that's never happened in recorded history? If you missed out, you're about to hear the story. Stay with us. More proof why this show is important here on radio and at our website at nwnewsradio.com. Northwest News this week, a Seattle man announcing that he's out on two wheels this week, riding his bike over 300 miles, and we'll tell you why. Manny Almario has always had two loves in his adult life. The first, his bike. Yeah, I think it, I picked it up um, when I moved to see the U.S. in 94. His other love, of course, his wife, Teresa. So she went back to college in the Philippines to learn the culture. That's why I met her, and then I got lucky. Lucky, blessed, fortunate, pick your term. Manny's new life here in this country was everything he had hoped for. His two passions are about to come together. Manny will participate this week in the Coast to Coast for Cancer bicycle ride. It begins in Oregon and ends in New Jersey. Teresa's plan? Meet Manny at the finish line. Well, that was the plan. Uh, it would have been our 20th anniversary, 28 year anniversary um, in June, uh, last June. So um, if I choke, it's <laughs> all. Teresa passed away in February from endometrial cancer. At first, Mandy wasn't sure he would continue training for this week's ride. Balancing the life of a single dad and, and training. But if he ever needed a reason to move forward, it's now. And Manny has a reason. I'm riding for her. Manny will ride the 300-mile stretch between Bend and Boise. I asked him about the finish line. After all... Teresa was supposed to be there. I mean, it's not going to be the same for sure. Manny believes Teresa will be there in spirit. And while it's not easy to talk about, he does have a plan when he crosses the finish line. When I get there, the plan is, again, the plan is to, to look at the sky and then just point to her. And that's all about it. Um... This is for her and other people like her. Manny Almario has two loves, his wife and his bicycle. And this week he will continue pedaling ahead, ensuring that this love story never ends. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. Thanks for tuning in as we will soon continue. You're listening to Northwest This Week, and now Mark Christopher. 
Let's continue with our top stories for the week of September the 10th. After that recent sewage spill into Lake Washington, the King County Water Quality Committee wants all of us to know such accidents will be prevented in the future. On August 22nd, a power outage from Seattle City Light cut electricity to the East Pine pumping station. The generators failed to kick in due to a faulty sensor and as much as 20,000 gallons of raw sewage was dumped into the lake. But this was hardly the first such incident. Wastewater Department Director Cameron Gurl says they need funding to replace aging gear. Much of the, the facilities uh, were built in the 60s and 70s, um, and the equipment, uh, in some cases, is original equipment. But he says they're constantly working to upgrade the system and prevent future spills. Jeff Pogel at Northwest News Radio. The world's food supply remains under stress, not only because of the war in Ukraine, but also due to a summer drought here in our country. Laura Riley, in fact, looked into the matters for the Washington Post. Here's Taylor Van Sice asking some questions. Laura, which crops are seeing the greatest impact of this drought? Well, because the the drought has gone on so long, and it's been over 40% of the country for the past 101 weeks, um, and because it's shifted around a little bit. So it's, you know, the last year it was much more in the kind of upper Midwest, and this year it's shifted south and, and west. Um, lots of crops are affected. So last year, spring wheat, barley, durum wheat, those were hammered. Um, this year it's more sorghum, which you think, oh, well, humans don't eat sorghum, but, but animals sure do. Um, the cotton crop in Texas, almost 70% of those farmers are walking away from the crop. It's that decimated. So we're looking at another year where there are some significant holes. I mean, the California Central Valley has another, it's another area that is going to see a lot of crops that people just walk away from rather than harvest. Are any crops getting priority for water based on their uh, drought resistance or, or what have you? Well, so a lot of farmers, especially in a state like California, make the decision to put whatever water allocation they get or that they can buy towards their permanent crops, towards perennials, so trees, so grapes, almonds, pistachios, walnuts, those kinds of things, pomegranates. Um, And they take the water away from annuals, things where they haven't invested a lot of money, so canning tomatoes, cantaloupes, um, other kinds of melons, squashes, things that you plant every year. So we are, I talked to the canning tomato folks, and they say, yeah, we're going to see a massive shortfall. So that means pizza, that means ketchup, that means spaghetti, you know. So we're going to see those from the consumer standpoint uh, into 2023. Well, you combine that with what you were saying about sorghum and, and needing to feed animals and uh, presumably beef, poultry prices, they're going to be going up soon, too. When are we going to see it at the grocery store? Well, interestingly, with beef, in the short term, you're going to see cheaper prices because a lot of those ranchers, they didn't have enough water. They didn't have enough feed. It was really expensive. They harvested their animals early. And a lot of those heifers, the, the young females that would have been kept next year to be their breeding stock, they've liquidated those animals already. So we're seeing a little bit of a glut and a little bit of easing on those beef prices right now, but it signals that next year is going to be even tighter. So some of some of what ranchers and farmers are doing this year is pushing the problem forward a little bit, you know, kind of delaying the pain for the rest of us. And judging by the map that you included in your story at WashingtonPost.com, it looks like the Northwest, at least, isn't in so bad of straits as far as drought's concerned northwest uh, like wheat and and perhaps lentils uh, are there any crop-wide bright spots though when you look at the whole national picture 
Sure. So uh, Washington and Oregon may inherit some of those crops that that are less and less viable in the state of California. Uh, I was at a, a fellowship a couple of weeks ago in Oregon, and they were saying, yeah, we we have enough water here that a crop like almonds, that's a very uh, water-intensive crop, we could do that more effectively here. So we're in this process right now where we're starting to see crop migration, things moving northward, moving into areas that have not been so affected by low water uh, for the past three years. Laura Riley with us on Northwest News Radio, reporter for the Washington Post covering the business of food. You can always find Laura's coverage online at WashingtonPost.com. The waters around Whidbey Island may be slightly more colorful in the coming week. Kathy O'Shea explains why. On Monday, state and federal scientists will add a non-toxic red dye to treated wastewater from the newly constructed Oak Harbor Clean Water Facility. It's all a part of a study to determine the impact on nearby shellfish growing areas by the facility's wastewater. The dye may be visible in and around Oak Harbor for roughly 24 hours. The study will not be affected by the plane crash in Mutiny Bay as the crash and study sites are on opposite sides of the island. Kathy O'Shea. Northwest News Radio. A story we found on the desk of Gray Hersholt here in Northwest News. Plans coming together in Olympia to transform Capitol Lake back into an estuary. The goal is also to restore the flow of the Deschutes River into Bud Inlet, but it's not without controversy. The Olympian reports people have been raising concerns about reduced recreation, among other things. Leaders from the cities of Olympia and Tumwater, the Squaxin Island Tribe, and the Lot Clean Water Alliance have created a framework for leading the project to eventually dredge contaminated sediment from the bay and remove the Fifth Avenue Dam. And this would also involve building a new reconfigured bridge there. But it's estimated that the dam removal wouldn't happen until 2033. Greg Hersholt, Northwest News Radio. This past week, maybe you only got bits and pieces from friends and co-workers, something about a life being saved by a Transportation Security Administration officer at SeaTac. We'll straighten it all out. You'll get the full story. The correct story just ahead. Right now, though, new statistics from the state of Oregon show something is happening among its population. Now, this has never happened in recorded history. Take a listen. Is it the beginning of the end or just a temporary setback? When those keeping track of vital statistics in the Beaver State saw the numbers, they likely did a double and then a triple take. From June of 2021 to June of this year, the state actually experienced more deaths than births. Curious as to what's happening here in Washington? Me too. The latest available numbers on our state's website are for the year 2020, where births still outpace deaths. But the gap could be much more narrow these days for the same reason Oregon is experiencing its first net vital statistic loss. Um, But we expected that maybe in 2025. Ethan Sharrigan, director of Portland State University's Population Research Center, tells KATU.com there are several reasons this is happening. COVID is just one. And and then there's inflation and how some people just feel about the world. When you um, give people conditions where they can expect a stable future and be kind of optimistic about the conditions that they that they will face, they are more likely than to, to have children. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. You're in tune to Northwest News this week, ending September the 10th. We'll keep it moving with more stories coming up. Northwest This Week continues. I'm Mark Christopher. So he says he's no hero, but the training of a Transportation Security Administration officer at SeaTac International this past week saved a man's life with the story Carlene Johnson. 
TSA officer Harry Specht was performing routine screening at Checkpoint 3 last Friday morning when a man in line collapsed. That traveler grabbed his forehead, uh, immediately fell to the ground, didn't even try to catch himself. He struck his head and he was motionless on the floor. That's Lori Dankers with TSA. Officer Specs past military training and ongoing CPR training kicked in, and he rushed over and immediately began life-saving efforts on the man who had no pulse and was not breathing. Recertified in CPR and first aid. No kidding, last month. Another TSA colleague brought over a defibrillator, and Officer Specs continued rescue breathing, chest compressions, and use of the AED until Port of Seattle police arrived and assisted. We did, like, three or four rounds of that and passenger started breathing on his own and got a pulse. The man was alert and talking when transported to the hospital. Speck says he's just glad he was in the right place at the right time. Happy that my training worked and paid off. Carlene Johnson, Northwest News Radio. A musician is bringing music to some of the most remote places of the Pacific Northwest. In fact, Brian Calvert sharing that he's inspiring new fans of the classics everywhere he goes. On this particular day, Hunter Nowak isn't tickling the ivories. He's gripping the steering wheel of his Dodge Ram. He's towing a trailer, and on that trailer, a well-packed and protected nine-foot Steinway Grand Piano. There are some people that are appalled that we do this with a piano. He's driving straight up Oregon's Mount Bachelor. These pianos were built to tour. They weren't really built to be in a trailer going up dirt roads. When he arrives at about the 8,000-foot level, the legs are reattached to the over 100-year-old Steinway, and the trailer that was carrying it transforms into an outdoor stage. You see, Hunter has a concert to play tonight, up here under the stars, hundreds of miles from the nearest concert hall. Guests had to take the ski lift to get here. This is the greatest. What an incredible place to listen to beautiful music. We're groupies. His project is called In a Landscape, Classical Music in the Wild. After a brief pause for the pandemic, Hunter is back out on the road, and he spent his summer performing in state parks and on mountaintops across Oregon. The music becomes a soundtrack to their experience in this landscape. He tells KGW.com he was inspired by the Depression Area Works Progress Administration's Federal Theater Project, which presented free concerts in public spaces and parks. It brought the fine arts outside of these places that sometimes feel exclusive and brought them into um, places that belong to all of us, uh, our public land. Concert goers have to listen via wireless headphones because the acoustics at 8,000 feet, well, they tend to swallow most notes. But hearing the piano with nature as your backdrop, it's bound to win over fans of all ages. I hope people find moments of magic in nature. I hope people, uh, I hope people feel something because of this music and because of uh, being in a landscape with, you know, with other people. This is just the most magnificent thing I've experienced in a long time in my life. What touched me sitting here tonight was I can hear the same piece at different locations and it touches me in a different place. Brian Calvert, Northwest News Radio. We just provided a way for you to catch up to some of the bigger stories of this past week, ending September the 10th. We hope you find this program useful, whether you listen to it on air here every week, or we do have that podcast at our website. Northwest News this week, ending September the 10th. 
heard every week here on AM 1000 and FM 97.7. Also as a podcast at your convenience at nwnewsradio.com. You'll also find other favorite podcasts like Politicast with Jeff Poljula, Life Beat with Marina Rockinger, and Puget Sound Now with Bill Swartz. If you enjoy this program as a podcast, we hope you'll rate it and review it at Apple Podcasts. Thank you for doing that. Northwest This Week, produced every week by Bill O'Neill. Our editor and tech advisor, Painter Webb. I'm Mark Christopher on behalf of all of us here in the newsroom of Northwest News Radio. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.